On R2C2, CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing, and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel. America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Coming up on New York, New York. We're getting you ready for Game 2. The Knicks in a must-win scenario. Well, Julius Randle, the most improved player in the sport, can't be any worse in Game 2. Can he? We got you covered Knicks-wise. Big Waz from The Ringer. The new rock star is going to join us. The MMA's version of Woj, Ariel Helwani, is going to join us. Big-time Knicks fan. He's probably going to talk some smack because his Blue Jays beat my Yankees tonight. And we got you covered on all the baseball. The Mets win at the Grom start. Bad news on Noah Syndergaard. The Yankees lose to the Blue Jays and Steven Matz. And some scary news involving Corey Kluber. We got some serious prices for all the NBA stuff. Islanders trying to wrap it up against the Penguins. And a programming announcement right after Game 2 of Knicks-Hawks. All that and more, it's New York, New York. Presented by our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. It's coming up next. Alrighty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in to episode 23. Hard to believe this is our Don Mattingly episode. That's right. Don Mattingly episode, not a Michael Jordan episode, not on New York, New York. Come on now. When I'm on the craps table, when I'm hooting and hollering for what point I want to hit, you think I'm yelling two, three, Michael Jordan? No, I might say 45, bring it back like Jordan. But two, three is a Donnie baseball episode. That's right. Rocking and rolling right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And we're on the eve of game two for the New York Knickerbockers against the Atlanta Hawks. And make no mistake, this is an absolute must win for the Knicks if they're going to win this series. They lost a hard-fought game one. They got a terrible effort out of Randall. Randall, there's no possible way he can be worse than what he was in game one. It was great to see that he was honored with the most improved player of the year. Uh, somebody had asked me about hedging that bet, and I hope I didn't tell that particular person to hedge, even though I think it might have been the practical move because they probably lost out on a few shekels. 
It's been a whale of a year for Julius. And I couldn't believe, even yesterday or two days ago, whenever we were doing our last New York, New York, there were like some Nick fans killing him. I'm like, are you guys serious? The guy has basically willed this team all damn year and now one bad game in a postseason and you're jumping off the bandwagon? Get lost. That would be my advice to you. Get lost. I think Randall, who torched the Hawks in the regular season, is going to bounce back in a big way. And I get the sense this team that has been spunky and hard-nosed and resilient all year is going to answer the bell. I fully expect that to be the case. Does the game plan against Trey Young need to be altered? Yes. Do they need to make Trey Young go to his offhand? Do they need to make Trey Young a facilitator and dare guys on the Atlanta Hawks to knock down the outside shot? I think that they do, especially after what I saw in game one. Now, Bogdanovich made a bunch of threes, but I don't want Trey Young beating me the way he did in game one. And he killed you, especially in the paint. Getting to the rack at will can't be as easy in a must-win scenario for the Knicks. I expect their defense to be a lot better. I don't see a path for the Knicks to win this series if they lose game two. I heard Barkley talking about this. Justin Termini brought this up when he was on the show. Talent-wise, Atlanta is a more talented team than the Knicks. What the Knicks have had going in their favor all year, the intangibles, the it factor, the defense. Now they factor in the crowd at Madison Square Garden, which was electric. Might have worked to the advantage of Trey Young, the way he was feeding off of that crowd, and I fully expect him to hear the catcalls. Now this narrative that it's Reggie and Michael all over again, let's, let's calm down in a first-round series. When it's the guy's first time in a postseason, and it's the Knicks' first time in a postseason in forever. Let's... Let's chill with Michael and Reggie before mentioning Trey Young in that sentence. That just kind of irks me, kind of bothers me. But I love the narrative. I love the fact that the Knicks are playing a playoff series that matters and that they'll go into Wednesday night desperately needing a win. And I think they're going to get one. We'll get to that in our gambling portion of the show. Knicks have to win this game tomorrow. I don't care what the line says. I don't care what the money says. It's a game I have circled right out of the gate. Now, The other basketball team in town took no prisoners in their game two effort. And we were all over this. I was all over it. Jeff Money was all over it. I hope everybody listened. I loved Brooklyn in game two. Because the way I looked at game one is they won, they covered, and they played a C-minus type of game. This game against the Boston Celtics, folks, let's be honest, it was over at the end of the first quarter. Game was over. You could tell that Brooklyn was in one of those grooves where they were getting open look after open look. And I I think Joe Harris just banged another three. He's going to get wide open looks like that, and he's going to on this team. He's going to make them. Seven of ten from beyond the three-point arc. He is a three-point assassin. And... It was just a flat-out balanced attack for Brooklyn. Durant gives you 26. He's efficient. 
Irving, not great, gives you 15, no big deal. You get 20 out of Horton. You get 10 out of Landry Shannon. You get 11 out of Blake Griffin. This game was over midway through the second quarter. Over. As I'm watching this game and there's 10 zillion things going on, 40 to 26, and then you outscored the Celtics by 10 in the second quarter, there was no reason to watch the second half. To me, I had it on, it was window dressing as I was dialing in and diving into all the baseball. The Nets ran away with this one, and they're going to run away with this series. As we have said, maybe Tatum has a moment. Maybe Boston will win a game. Maybe it's going to be on Friday night. Because knowing what we know about this Celtic team, if they're down 0-3, they are mailing it in on Sunday. I do not think you're going to get some let's rally the troops type of effort. Don't see it. Ho-hum for the Nets. And a reminder of when they're clicking and when they're firing on all cylinders, they are almost impossible to guard. Too damn explosive. Too good a shooting team. Scary good offensively. And I can't stand them, but scary, scary good on offense. Now, we had all that going on with the basketball. Getting ready for game two with the Knicks. The Nets up 2-0 on the Celtics. Busy baseball night, and unfortunately, the narrative for the two baseball teams is going to be front and center around injuries. Injuries surrounding starting pitchers. One, who's had a pretty darn good year. The other, who's trying to make his way back from Tommy John surgery. And first, you hear about Noah Syndergaard and the Mets. It's never ideal when you have Tommy John surgery and you're trying to ramp it back up to hear about a setback. Discomfort. It might push the Noah Syndergaard timetable back a couple weeks. The timetable, when you think about it, seems super accelerated. I mean, Noah Syndergaard had Tommy John surgery, what, last March, April? Right around there? I mean, we're at the end of May, for goodness sakes. So the idea that he's already making rehab starts, I, I was figuring, wow, he's ahead of schedule. But for a Met team that has injuries galore, it is the cavalcade of injuries. It's the last thing you want to hear about. You want to get some good news. You got some with Lugo. You know you got bad news with McNeil and Conforto who are not coming back anytime soon. You don't need any more punches to the gut. Thankfully, it was not one of those nights where it was a Jacob DeGrom gut punch where the Mets squander a DeGrom start. It was great to see him back off the injured list. After losing Monday night to the Colorado Rockies, they're a terrible baseball team. There was no way in the world the Mets could go and lose this game with Jacob DeGrom going. They lost three straight. Sometimes you need that sort of pick-me-up type of performance. DeGrom was not vintage DeGrom. I know it's crazy to talk about a guy who's won multiple Cy Youngs and just to talk about a pitcher, period, and say, well, he gave you... Six innings of one-run baseball. Five innings, excuse me. Five innings of one-run baseball. And he wasn't at his very best. He wasn't. First time we've seen him in about six weeks, four weeks, whatever the hell the timetable was. I can't even keep track. I think it's about four weeks. My math right now, it's a little hazy. That's that Syracuse education for you. But what was great to see, and this guy's been in the middle of a whole lot of big hits for the Mets this year, Tomas Nito, who has earned more playing time has taken playing time away from James McCann. I guess with all the injuries, they're trying to get creative. They're putting McCann at first base. They're putting 
Brandon Drury, the former Yankee, out in the outfield. I mean, they're trying just about anything to patch together a lineup. Nito hits a big home run. You get good work out of Castro, May, and Diaz. And you get a much-needed win. Now go and win the next two. The problem the Mets are going to run into this weekend is they're going to get an Atlanta Braves team that knows they need to make a move in the National League East. A Braves team that just lost two out of three to the Mets. And the Mets are going to be running out of cast of thousands in the everyday lineup. That's scary. That's why you got to take advantage right here and right now against the Colorado Rockies. But I guess the bigger concern for the Mets, forget about Lindor, who continues to stink, and he's under 200. You're wondering when Francisco Lindor is going to start hitting. This is all about getting Syndergaard, Conforto, Alonzo, McNeil, Nemo, Davis. I mean, it's the laundry list of injuries to kind of really have a sense for what the Mets are in 2021. Because two months in a year, it's kind of hard to tell. Now, on the flip side, Yankees, as good a brand of baseball as they've been playing, and they've been great over the last month. They've been outstanding over the last three weeks. They've struggled with the Toronto Blue Jays. They lost two out of three in the opening series. They lost two out of three down in Dunedin. And they get absolutely pummeled by Steven Matz, which I thought was a ready-made-to-order type of matchup for the Yankees. All those right-handed bats against Steven Matz, I thought they'd be hitting bombs left and right. Did not happen. Yankee lineup has an off night. Yankees had won, what, seven in a row? Six in a row? So I, I could deal with the loss. You hope they get the next two against Toronto. Here's my concern coming out of this game. Corey Kluber. Because Corey Kluber has been a godsend for the Yankees. Threw a no-hitter last week. He has performed like the guy we saw in Cleveland from 2014 to 2018. But remember, this is a guy who missed all 2019, basically. And he missed all the shortened 2020 season with a shoulder injury. So when I hear shoulder injury leaves game after three innings, I'm alarmed. The MRI tomorrow is going to tell the story. I would expect that Corey Kluber is going to miss a little bit of time. I also think the Yankees are going to err on the side of caution because they know they need Corey Kluber at the end of this year. So if that means maybe skipping him a couple of times through the rotation, getting somebody like Davey Garcia up here, Maybe Michael King gets a shot. I think that is the way the Yankees will approach it. They should be very cautious with Corey Kluber. You couldn't have expected Corey Kluber to give you 210 or 220 innings. But this was the concern I, for one, had when the Yankees brought him in. How durable would he be throughout this regular season? Well, say a prayer, cross your fingers, hope everything's going to be okay. For a guy the Yankees are counting on to be that number two behind Garrett Cole. Yankee lineup not scoring runs, no surprise. Nice to see Frazier actually swing a little bit. Maybe feeling Andujar breathing down his neck, and he's like, shit, I better hit. Ryan going to be playing. That's encouraging. Rest of the Yankee lineup, pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. But when you win a bunch of games in a row, you live with it. You'll deal, as the kids like to say. But say a prayer for Corey Kluber, and say a prayer if you're a Met fan for Noah Syndergaard. Two guys we want to see on the mound, not in the dugout, you know, doing God knows what or on a training table. Loaded show is coming up, but we got to start it with a voicemail right out of the gate. Let's go. Who's on a horn? 
JJ, it's early Monday morning. I want to hear this on the Tuesday night pod. I'm going to listen to it on my way to the Garden Wednesday night. Trey Young is like Derek Jewander. You can't go left. And you want to know what? If he does go left and gets fired, you got to put him on his ass just like the 90s Knicks used to do when guys are getting the paint on them. We need that presence on him down low. He's soft. you got to hit him a little bit. I'm not saying take him out of the game. But if you're going to foul him, he's going to get all these bullshit calls from the refs anyway. you got to make him feel it. And here's another thing. With a few days of preparation, I think Tibbs is going to have the team ready to go. I don't see Randall putting up another dud like he did in game one. We knew it was going to be a long series. It's going to be a six- or seven-game series. The teams are pretty evenly matched. I think the Hawks probably have the better roster. The Knicks have the better coach. But we got to keep home court and win this game Wednesday night. Let me know your thoughts. Let's go, Knicks. We're here. I love the Derek Zoolander reference. I did not expect a zoolander Trey Young comparison right out of the gate, but I'm always in favor of a little sports, pop culture, movie type of deal. I want Ben Stiller on the show, by the way. We're working on that. I'd love to have Ben Stiller on the show, who is like as big a Knicks fan as you're going to find. I see him all the time tweeting about the Knicks. Got to get Ben Stiller on. Yes, they need to make Trey Young go to his left. Yes, you know you're going to get some ticky-tack calls along the way. You're not going to see fouls like it's Oakley, Mason all over again. Physical foul or two from Taj Gibson, or hopefully Nerlens Noel if he could give it a go. To me, it's just that the doctor ordered. We got a loaded show coming your way with a whole lot of Knicks. Big Waz. The Ringers, new addition. He's a rock star. Even though I think we only have one team in common. He's a Nick guy, but he roots Met, and he roots Jet. That's unfortunate. He's going to join us. Ariel Helwani, the MMA extraordinaire, and a big-time New York Knicks fan is also checking out on the pod. We got voicemails coming up, and we're also going to tell you about some fun we got cooked up for tomorrow. Right after Knicks-Hawks, we're going to be rocking and rolling live. Not on tape, not a couple hours later, live. Let's share those details. I gave you a little hint on Sunday. But I'll elaborate a little bit more. That's what we do around here. New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. Big Waz coming up next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're going to welcome in a guy who is like the ringer's new sensation. He (laughs) is joining New York, New York for the first time. And I heard him with Bill a couple weeks ago, and I was like, this guy's a badass. We got to have him on the podcast. Big Waz, what's happening, bro? I'm good, Johnny. Thank you so much. You know, it's crazy. After I did that podcast with Simmons, of course, the, the big dog, the pig pop, my phone's blowing up. Yada, That's yada, the way yada. it goes, dude. Oh, yeah. And I'm I like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And he's like, yeah, uh, you need to do JJ's pod because y'all would be fantastic together. I got That word came down from, from the boss, man. It was like, you need to get on Johnny's pod because you guys are going to light that thing on fire. So here I am. Well, I love that. That's Bill Simmons for you. People helping people. He's built from Los Angeles on this podcast was. And, you know, he gets under my skin a little bit when he's talking all sorts of shit about his Red Sox. But now that the standings and the stars are back to aligning where they're supposed to be with the Yankees basically on the doorstep of his boys, 
we haven't been getting any voice messages from Phil in LA anytime soon, you know? <laughs> that's 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 not surprising, but it is a long season. It is a long season. So constantly have to be monitoring that situation for sure. I expect to. Now, have you enjoyed this Nick year as much as I have enjoyed this Nick year? And I gotta admit, whilst they have beaten me down, where I become very, very negative about the franchise. I own yeah. that. Very negative for a decade, give or take. And I don't know if it's Tibbs. I don't know if it's the team taking on the personality in New York City. But, dude, watching this team day in and day out, no matter what happens here in this series against Atlanta, this has been one of these feel-good seasons, feel-good rides. I, I haven't experienced this with the Knicks, dude, in a long, long time. Yeah, this came out completely out of nowhere. Uh, I remember, I think the post, either the post or the Daily News that posted a headline Back when the Knicks were like 19 and 18, and the headline was, you know, how uh, Leon Rose completely turned this thing around. And I remember tweeting like, guys, the team is 500. I get that they're playing good defense, but at the time, remember early in the season, they were having a lot of three-point luck, meaning, you know, uh, opponents were shooting a terrible percentage from three-point um, land, which... You know, the nerds will always tell you that's not really sustainable, right? Like, that's just luck. Eventually, teams are going to make threes against you if you're allowing them. But whatever, it was propping up their defense. It was like, guys, simmer down. But as the season progressed, they just kept mauling people on defense. And Julius Randle kept playing up to the level of a guy who can be considered a legitimate star, right? Like, he's beating people one-on-one. His mid-range has improved to a ridiculous extent. He's making three-pointers. He's become a playmaker very early in his career. He was considered a ball stopper, ball hog, a sort of tunnel vision kind of guy. And now he's one of the best playmakers on the team. Like, when you see this happen throughout a long period of time where the cohesion remains consistent, the defense remains excellent, uh, the, just the level of effort that they play with on a night-to-night basis, you kind of got to tip your cap and be like, no, this is this is just who this team is. They they play their butts off for the coach, and um, they execute every single night. Now, the talent is what it is, but you can't dispute what they've done from an effort level and just Julius Randle specifically, the improvement that he's made. You know, you can be a cynic, like me and be like, well, like, you know, he had a 10 month off season, right? Well, hopefully he got much better. But, you know, guys don't show this level of improvement the way he has. So it's, it's amazing to watch. And that's why, dude, I think they're going to show up in a big way in game two, because this has been a team basically all year. You've been waiting for the other shoe to drop and I'm yeah. with you. I, I'm not delusional. They're not winning beyond this round if they're lucky enough, quite frankly, to yep. go and beat Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks. But I think after losing a tough game, and Randall specifically, after having one of his worst games of the year, I expect him to ball out on Wednesday night. Yeah. I really do. Absolutely. Um, and th- that's kind of been the character of the team all season long, right? Uh, guys, they've had guys in and out of the lineup uh, and all kinds of stuff, and they've responded every single time. And again, I, I attribute that to... Stri- like, people don't understand, you know... These NBA players are human beings. They understand that it's a 72-game season. It's hard to come out every single game and pretend that it's the most important thing that ever happened to you in your life, right? Like, guys are going to have lulls. Playing with consistent effort is a skill. Like, that's a skill that a team possesses. No different than perimeter defense or rebounding or three-point shooting. Effort consistently is a skill, and they've shown that 
all year. And they've been a very attention to detail type of team, low turnover type of team. Like they've been a really good quality team all year. So I expect that they're going to make some, a couple of adjustments and just play better because that's what they've shown all season long. So I, I agree with you. I, although I do think Atlanta is clearly the more talented team. I agree with like, that. That's fair. They clearly have more talent, but I don't know that the level of cohesion and execution, you know, is that of the Knicks. Because the Knicks, again, remember the, the Hawks got a coach fired this year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that actually happened. The Knicks have been playing this consistently, this with this much cohesion all season long. And I think there's something to be said for that. Uh, where do you stand on this Trey Young villain talk? And listen, we love a good villain. It's good for theater. It's good for what we do. Was that thought people took it completely out of control. I mean, the idea <laughs> that people are going to compare Trey Young to Michael Jordan to Reggie Miller after one night at Madison Square Garden. Bro, can we at least get through a series, no, one series, no, before no, we're no. putting him in that same conversation? No, I, no, no, like, no, no, no. Listen, a Nick fan is going to give him a ton of shit Game two, game five, game seven, you name it. Right. Reggie Miller, Michael Jordan, come on now. No, 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 no. He's, he, first of all, before he even gets there, he has to get to the Roy Hibbert, P.J. Brown level of villain, oh, I right? hate P.J. <laughs> Brown. I, and I'm a Syracuse guy, was so you would think right. I hate Roy Hibbert. No, 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 no. P.J. Brown, Chuck and Charlie Ward. That yeah. team had the best chance, I think, in the Ewing years of knocking off Jordan. I hear P.J. Brown, it makes me sick. Makes right. So before we even get to the actual Nick killers like Reggie Miller and Michael Jordan, like you got to rise to the level of a PJ Brown before we start calling you a true villain. But what I think Trey, Trey Young does possess is that he is pretty polarizing and it feels like um, even amongst his peers, he's not really the most well liked or well respected. Some of it might be just the sort of, you know, the flailing and the selling of every single call and trying to get every single advantage. I happen to personally be a big Trey T.L. fan because I watched him play his rookie season at Phillips Arena. I happened to be visiting my brother who lives over there. And I was just blown away by just his instinct and just know-how for the game right off the bat. You know, like his court vision, just his anticipation. He's like an extremely cerebral NBA basketball player, right? That being said, he's not afraid to ham it up. And the garden being like, yeah, we're bringing 15,000, you know, you know what I mean, for game one of the playoffs. And people showed up and were ready to rock and roll and oh, go it's crazy. Oh, rocking, dude. That's the last you know I've I mean? heard that place in 20 years. You know what I mean? So Trey Young being like, you know what, this is a stage and I'm a performer and him playing up to that. That's, that's what we want. That's what the playoffs are all about. And for what it's worth, can they make Trey Young go to his offhand, for goodness sakes? I mean, holy moly, can they make him go to his offhands? I mean, I'm screaming it. And hey, Clyde, I don't know if you get the MSG broadcast out yeah. in Los Angeles. Yes. Clyde was screaming at the entire game, make him go to his left. I mean, if I see Trey Young going to his right at will uh, in the first quarter and a half of this next game coming up, dude, I'm going to be pounding bourbon. I, I think I'm going to bourbon if that's the case, dude. It, but, you know, the thing about these very dominant hand heavy type of guys is that they always seem to get to their spots, right? Like, there's something to be said for a lot of these guys. People say the same thing about Julius Randle. Like, uh, can you make him dribble with his right hand? He always finds a way to get back to that left hand, though. So some of these very hand dominant type of cats, is, it's more difficult than it looks. But I understand the instinct of being like, really? Really? 
Really? We're just going to watch him do the same thing over and over again. And these are professional, you know, defenders. And this is this was the best defense in the NBA all season. Make Trey Young do something that he feels uncomfortable doing at least once or twice, guys. If the Knicks are going to win this series, I've been banging the table that Rose is the biggest X factor. I had this conversation with Simmons. We were going back and forth via text. He was trying to make the argument to me it was R.J. Barrett. And listen, they need R.J. to play big in this series. But when you consider the guard play of Atlanta, you need somebody who can match that. And I know they're asking a lot out of D. Rose. It's crazy, dude. He's like found the fountain of youth here with the Knicks second time around. Is he your biggest X factor if the Knicks are going to win this series? I mean, my my biggest X factor is the defense, honestly. It's it like because I don't think the Knicks... Even Atlanta, because they're playing, um, they're playing Capella enough that that they're going to have a competent defense, and the Knicks don't possess the amount of offensive talent that they can go out and beat guys no matter who's on the floor, right? I think what it's going to come down to is keeping Trey Young off the line um, and minimizing the amount of open looks that Atlanta gets from three, right? Like, I know it's like the modern NBA. That's what everybody's trying to do. But that's what you have to do to be effective against some of the best playoff offenses. D. Rose can only be expected to do but so much offensively as far as carrying a burden. If the Knicks are going to win this series, it's because they're making these games muddy Got to make it ugly. Totally agree. Got to make – you got to ugly it up against the Hawks who have – a lot of offensive firepower. So keeping Trey Young off the line, limiting the amount of catch and shoot threes that the Hawks get, I think that will be the key key factor. Because I think at the end of the day, Trey Young is going to be a high usage guy. He's going to be with the one dominating possessions. And so keep that guy off the line. Make him make that damn floater oversized. Like he's freaking six one. He weighs nothing. Make him finish oversized. Don't foul him and keep the shooters off the three-point line. And that's what I think they could do. While also, stop trying to play with pace. Slow this thing down. Muddy it up. Make this thing something that's basically trench warfare. And that's their best chance of beating a clearly, again, Atlanta is clearly more talented than the Knicks are. When the Vegas odds for this series came out, it was basically an even money series. Now I can get the Knicks. At two to one, Big Waz, I'm a betting man. I, I like to, I like <laughs> to like throw a couple odds, wages okay. down. I like to throw a couple shekels down. I present you with the opportunity of getting the Knicks at plus two hundred. You taking that money? You taking that action? I can't. Um, I personally wow, can't okay. because so you let your head speak and not your heart. That's what you're telling me. Well, yes, yeah, not my heart because although I do want to see, for instance, I want to see my mom and stepdad happy. They're super Nick fans, right? Like, I want to see all my friends that I grew up with who are still these miserable Nick fans. I like to see the people around me have joy, be happy. I want to see happy things for the Knicks. But that being said, I was very bullish on Atlanta coming into the season. You know, um, I just really believed in the mix of talent that they assembled. And I thought they would defend just enough to be a team that's, damn, this is, this is a tough out every single time. Um, and so, yeah, they they won the first game on the road. Uh, again, I do think they have the superior talent. So you're telling me home court, they have home court plus superior talent. I got to go with ATL. That's just, to me, the logical way to go with this. I love you. I hope you're dead wrong on that. I'm hoping and praying, bro. I'm hoping and praying. Now, I found out through the grapevine, you're a big-time New York Met fan. Not a Yankee yeah. fan like yours truly. Yeah. You're a big yeah. Met fan. 
So growing up, do you have a guy that you like identify with? Like is your favorite all-time New York Met? So my favorite Met all-time is Beltran for sure. Because to me, he's the most talented Met of my entire Future tenure. Hall of Famer. Future yeah, t- like the, the guy could literally do everything you wanted him to on a baseball field. So I'm always going to be attracted to, to talent. But I became a Met fan the summer we got Piazza. Um, 98? Yeah. I mean, of- so you became a Met fan the summer of 98 when my Yankees yep. were basically winning every single game known to yeah. men? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I like the underdog a- then. You because it, it wasn't even that. It's because I was such a basketball fanatic. I was I was a sicko about basketball. It's all I really cared about. Like, you know, I would watch baseball during the playoffs, and obviously the Yankees were constantly in the playoffs and stuff. Um, and I do remember 96 against young Andrew Jones and Tripper Jones and the rest of that Braves crew. Uh, but I, I was I was straight up just basketball, NBA. And then, of course, I rooted for the Jets as well, et cetera, et cetera. But that summer when we got Piazza is when I really focused in on the Mets. And an older cousin of mine was also just a huge Mets fan. And he kind of indoctrinated me into it. I feel like a lot of our older family members indoctrinate us into these affiliations. So that's what really happened. He was like, yeah, you need to fuck with the Mets. You need to mess with Mike Piazza. And the fir- like the first Met game we watched together, Piazza comes up to the plate. He goes, yo, he's about to smack a home run. And lo and behold, this man smacked the home run. And I was like, Mike Piazza, this guy's, this guy's incredible. It doesn't hurt that I was 11 years old and didn't really understand that, you know, the guy might do that only 28 more times this season. But, like, I was sold. I was hooked. I, I loved Mike Piazza. Are you ready to sound the alarm on Francisco Lindor? Where are you? One being the lowest of concerns, 10 being the highest of concerns, because he's done nothing Two months in a year. Now, you got to figure at some point he's too good a player. This can't continue. But, dude, New York City, you're making $35 million a year. Yeah. You can't have two home runs or three home runs and hit 190 over the first two months. Where you at currently with Lindor? Yeah, I've, I've watched enough baseball in my life to know these things come in ebbs and flows, right? Um, so, I'm not – I'm good. Let him have a season. We'll do an assessment. So, you'll give him a full year then. You're not yeah, going to give him a half year. year. You're not going to give it's three baseball. months full year. Okay. It's okay. baseball. These things happen in fits and spurts. Like, we know this. We've seen this. We've seen guys rip off long runs where they're hitting 430, right? And you think, damn, why couldn't they just always do that? That's just the nature of the game. There's going to be peaks. There's going to be valleys. Uh, the guy is young. He's clearly so damn talented. He's in a new position. He signed a big new deal. There's a certain level of expectation that comes with doing all of this. Uh, I think he's going to be fine in the long run. Or at least I hope so. Knicks, Mets, Jets. Do you have a favorite team? You have not seen a championship yet with those three. But you think about your years as a sports fan. Mets, Jets, Knicks. I know I'm reversing the order on you. I'm making it all sorts of confusing. Do you have a favorite one? Think it back all these years later. Um... I'm betting it be, it's going to be a Ewing Nick year for you. No, that it's, not. it's not. It's, it's, it's not. Okay. If anything, the, my favorite Knicks team was the 99 team with, with, with oh, Spreewell. Oh, and Cam. Spreewell and Cam. Because yeah, Spreewell and Charlie Ward and, and Chris Childs and so many of these, like, can Chris be, Dudley. Like, can't forget about Chris Dudley. Of course. Chris Dudley the goon. Um, by the way, Chris Dudley could never get a single second of time in today's NBA. I like, think that that's just straight up. That's no just straight up would never happen. My favorite, man, of all of those teams, it would probably be a toss-up between 
you know, uh, the 2006 Mets, where, you know, my fellow Mets fans are still, they're still, they're still never going to get over Beltran not swinging at that pitch. I, I, I understand, but that is probably a toss between them and that 12 and 4 Jets team with Vinny Testaverde. In 98. Yes. All right. So, what loss was worse for you? Denver, 98 AFC title game, the Beltron game against the Cardinals. It was de- it was Denver. It was Denver. Denver. Because I'm surprised it was by that. Okay. It was Denver because first of all, that Broncos team was considered to be damn near historically great. They well, were, they were so- undefeated for forever. They won the title. Yeah. Elway, Terrell Davis, Ed McCaffrey, Rod Smith. That team, Shannon Sharp. That was a loaded incredible team. Um, and just the idea that we were in that game, we were beating them damn near the whole time. Like that victory would have just felt like what I would imagine heaven, euphoria, whatever you want to call it, ecstasy. That's what it was going to feel like. And ultimately we didn't pull it out. And like the Jets have never, ever since come that close to being in a Super Bowl. Like it's not like they obviously the Rex Ryan teams went to two conference championships if um or whatever, but they didn't they weren't gonna those teams weren't gonna go to the Super Bowl, right? And like so to be that close with the historically dominant team and to just fall this short. Even though the Mets were considered the best team in baseball that year, but you know baseball is weird. The playoffs are so wacky with these, you know, little seven game. I do think sizes. you would have beat the uh, the Tigers that year. After 100%. the Cardinals series, I would have had the Mets. And, and by the way, like you see how you talk about PJ Brown. That's what Yadier Molina is for me. The guy never hit ever, 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 ever. And for whatever reason in that series, we could not get this fool out. We could not get Yadier freaking Molina out. To this day, he's haunting my damn nightmares. So screw you, Yadier Molina. Um, you ruined everything for us. Uh, but yeah, definitely that that Jets team. Because, you know, again, the same way Mike Piazza is who got me into the 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 um the Mets, Keyshawn Johnson is who got me into the Jets. Uh number one pick, really brash guy. Just give me the damn ball. Give me the damn ball when he disrespected Hofstra's own Wayne Krebet. That was I was just like, this guy is different. <laughs> and I just wanted to root for that guy. And he made me a Jets fan, seriously. And of course, the big tuna, everything about that team um, was so much fun. We were coming off of Neil O'Donnell and Glenn Foley. Um, and Kotite, don't forget about Kotite. Oh, oh my God. The, I mean, the I'm worst, sorry I had to bring it up. but The worst head coach will. in the history of the NFL. Like, that's just like and a fact. And Adam Gaze for you is a close second. I mean, it, not with the Dolphins. With my team, he actually was respectable. He took him to the right, playoffs. No, but Your that's team, he was a nightmare. He showed a level of respectability somewhere else. Rich Kotite was just a joke. Like, he was his historically bad. Uh, I think there was, I remember one game, I watched it, I remember a Jet game where Tom Tupa took a snap at quarterback. Well, that was when Vinny blew out his knee, or yeah. his, his Achilles, I should say. Yeah, that Tom was week Tupa. one against the Patriots the following year. Tupa this had to is, play quarterback, that's true. This is, this is what it means to exist as a Jets fan. Your punter took snaps at starting QB. Like, this is, you know... So yeah, I'm, <laughs> it's definitely the ninety. That that was so much fun. I was I was telling um Simmons this. 
Part of why we have instant replay is because of that quarterback sneak Vinny had. Against the Seahawks. I Against remember the that Seahawks, game. where yes, his I helmet do. was over, but the ball wasn't. And people were so pissed about it. <laughs> and the Jets ended up winning that game. Yes. Um, so that team, that season was so memorable, man. Um, Vinny, man. Shouts, shouts to Vinny Testaverde. Unsung hero. Final one. We're going to leave on a happy note. I'm giving you one championship. You have not seen one from the Mets, the Jets, or the Knicks. One title. But they're the only team that's going to win in your lifetime. Is it the Mets? Is it the Jets? Is it the Knicks? Or is yours? It's got to be the Jets for me. Um, and the Jets? It, I, see, I thought you were going to give me the Knicks there. So I'm a little no, surprised no, no, no. by this and, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that people don't understand. Is y'all don't, like, people love the Garden and watching it on TV and seeing Knicks enthusiasm. If the Knicks win a championship, I'm telling you, sports fans, you do not want to live on that planet. You don't want to live in a world. Oh, I do. Where no, Knicks fans I are do. champions. Gladly. I'll gladly it's live not, in that world. You will never, ever, 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 ever stop hearing about it. Like, ever. It's like, it will never stop. Well, it'd be uh, like the, the Red Sox in 2004. I'm, <laughs> I'm never getting that out of my head. Uh, I'm going to have to hear about that for the rest of my life. So I, I see where you're going with that. And now they've won three other times, so it's even right. more sickening. So right. hopefully that's coming for the Knicks. Right. Like. But I do think, though, for New York, for the city, I mean, what it would mean for the – me personally, of course, I want it to be the Jets. But what it would mean for New York City, for the Knicks to win it, to be champions, it's, you know, it's indescribable. Like, I can't even explain Nick fandom to people. It's like nothing else I've seen in sports, the devotion to a team, because even the Red Sox – they hadn't won a championship, but at least there was plenty of competence in between. You could say that with heartbreaking losses, glimmers of hope, basically. glimmers of hope. All last the two time. decades, you have not had that from the Knicks. All right, Tw- maybe uh, Carmelo and Lynn Sanity for two years, but twenty, 20 years of shit. Let's twenty be years of utter just incompetence. Twenty years, like that's impossible. That's almost impossible in sports. Everybody looks into a KD or whatever or a franchise savior. 20 years of incompetence, 20, yet they freaking have an under, uh, overachieving four seed, and you would think a, a championship is coming. That's true. That's absolutely it's true. It's incredible, right? So I think what it would mean for the city is just, I would love to see that for sure. Thanks for doing this. Welcome to the team. It's weird that now I'm welcoming people to the ring because I just started <laughs> two months ago, but hey. I, even though we don't root for any of the same teams with the exception of the Knicks, New York and L.A. through and through, you're welcome on the pot anytime. So oh. anytime you got to get some, like, Mets, Jets stuff off your chest, you know where to find me, okay? Of course. And, and, and John, you, you know what my favorite thing, too, is we're bringing a lot of this New York energy to the ringer. Well, we got it, man. That's how we, we roll around here. You know we don't we, bullshit we, that, man. You either have it or you don't. We we got we gotta give it to him because you know the West Coast, uh, easy breezy, beautiful. We get that, but we need that raw realness from that only New York City can provide. So I appreciate you, bro. Thanks for coming on. Don't be a stranger, and hopefully that Nick prediction is dead wrong. All right, baby. <laughs> yes, sir. Talk soon. Coming up next, the woes of MMA and a diehard Nick guy, my dude Ariel Hulani. Is up next. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. 
Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies' splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. So, I was introduced to this guy by my boss, the great Bill Simmons. And I have to admit, if he were to quiz me on MMA fighters, I would fail. And I would fail miserably. But this guy's a Q's guy. He is a Knicks guy. And his Blue Jays just laid a whooping on my Yankees. So let's welcome in Mr. MMA himself, Ariel Helani. What's up, Ariel? Double J, it is great to be here. A little offended that not only uh, had you never heard of me, but you also claimed to know nothing about MMA. That's being true. A, Full disclosure. You give guy, me a quiz like, right on. now. That's crazy. I am, and I am listen, major four. You, you quiz me. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a hell of a job. I never have bought in yet, Ariel, to the MMA craze. So I'm gonna ask you this right out of the gate here. Because yep. I know you're fired up to talk Knicks and you want to talk yep, some yep, shit yep. at my expense with the we Yankees. We here. Who is the MMA fighter that John Zustremski should get on board with? Who is that guy? Oh, man. One. Just one? I want an up-and-coming guy. I don't want McGregor. Like, McGregor, no, 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 yeah. no. I, I know him. He's one of the few I Okay, so know. I was going to say, at least you know McGregor. Because if do. you would have said you never heard of him, that would have Nah, that'd be embarrassing. I'd go home. So there's a guy named Israel Adesanya who coincidentally is headlining the next UFC pay-per-view. So it goes down June 12th. This isn't me trying to shill for an ESPN Plus pay-per-view, but it is the next one. He's the middleweight champion of the world. He's from um, he's from Nigeria now. Trains out of Auckland, New Zealand. The man is oozing charisma, oozing confidence. He's fun. He dances. He talks trash with the best of them. He is just a fun character. He is flashy in the cage, flashy out of the cage. He just got the whole package. Now he actually just lost his first UFC fight back in March because he dared to be great, as he said. He moved up twenty pounds to the next weight class and lost against the light heavyweight champion of the UFC, a guy named Jan Bachovic of uh, Poland. But if I had to pick one guy for you to kind of hit your wagon to, it's the last style bender, Israel Asanya, who I think has a massive chip on his shoulder, who saw everyone kind of dance on his grave after he lost his first fight back in March, who I think is going to come back with a vengeance on June 12th, on pay-per-view, Glendale, Arizona. You buy that pay-per-view, you let me know what you think. I like it, Ariel. Maybe throw a couple of shekels down, make some yes. money in the process, and I'll be thinking of you the rest of the way. And, you know? and by the way, could I just add, as I know you are a big gambler, Yes. perfect sport to gamble well, on. I mean, why is know? that the case? Simmons was trying to explain it to me, and I didn't really understand him naturally. What else is new? But why well, is it such a great sport to gamble on? First of all, there are 43 UFC events a year. There's no off-season. The, the, the nine off-weeks so to speak, are sprinkled throughout the year. And so you pretty much have something to gamble on every single weekend. You're probably going to have somewhere in the range of 11 to 13 fights on a card with different characters, so to speak, every week. You do your little fan duel thing, whatever daily fantasy you want, or even you do a parlay. It's just, it's basically like a football game with a different set of teams, 11 or so, every single Saturday night. It, and it to caters me, to underdogs, perfect. right? A lot of yes. people have told me that it caters to underdogs, that the value in betting MMA, in many cases, Ariel, is taking that plus money. Yes, because they haven't quite figured out the lines just yet. The sport is so new. There aren't a ton of professional. There are some. There are a ton of professional odds makers right now. Um, there, there's a lot of money to be had. And, and also, I mean, we're talking about fights involving four-ounce gloves. Like one punch 
can change everything. So it's a lot of fun to, as you say, you know, throw some shekels down on an underdog because anything can happen in there. How did you get into this? Because now you are, and multiple people have told me this, the woge of MMA, which I think is just a surreal compliment to give you because that means you're breaking shit left and right. And you got a little flair and you got a little personality to you, which I absolutely love. And I've noticed that now in our interactions and text message. And now I'm getting the sense in podcast world. How did the world of MMA find you, Ariel? So always grew up a massive, massive sports fan. Uh, loved the NBA, loved Major League Baseball, NHL, NFL. But I also loved the fight game growing up. Loved pro wrestling, loved boxing, loved the UFC. I remember watching the first UFC back in 1993 at my grandparents' house. And uh, I remember being in the ninth grade. Uh, I grew up in Montreal and I was reading Sports Illustrated. And I remember seeing a blurb in this particular issue of Sports Illustrated where they were talking about the best schools in America for X, Y, and Z. There was a blurb that stated that Syracuse University was the best school for sports broadcasting. There you so go. The- I like hearing <laughs> that. And From I love- One got to another. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's why I mentioned it. So I loved uh, Marv Albert and Bob Costas growing up. NBA on NBC was like, you know, my my church. I, Do you still I, hum the theme song when you're going for like a tremendous. workout or whatever? I John know, Tesh. I, oh, I mean, yeah. yeah, it's legendary. It's I wish... ruined now hearing it in the college basketball games, to be honest. With it you it is very it's weird. It's just not the same. They also put in, you know, our, our mutual friend, Frank Isola, they played sometimes on his radio show. And I'm like, this song, I mean, it's like the equivalent of the Hockey Night in Canada song. Uh, up north like you don't just throw it on some you know satellite radio show if you ask me that's just my two cents. i would agree with that in any event uh so i get to syracuse several years later and you know john for the first time in my life i was surrounded by kids who had the same goals and dreams that i did which was to become the next marv albert and next bob costas next mike tarico and i've always been the kind of guy who uh kind of likes to go to the beat of his own drum and be a little different. You know, I did the whole WAER thing. It wasn't for me. And I remember telling my uh, my parents in September of 2001, you know, there's this sport called mixed martial arts and there's this organization called the UFC, which at the time wasn't even eight years old yet. I think it's going to be mainstream. And I think in 10 years, there's going to be some executive in some office who's going to say, I know nothing about this crazy cage fighting sport, but who's the guy? Who's the Howard Cosell of MMA? And I want to put myself in position to be the Howard Cosell of MMA because there was no voice of MMA at the time. And so I focused all my energy on that. I had a radio show at SU for WERW, the the the, the school station at uh, the Shine Auditorium in the, in the basement of the student center. And uh, I just kind of immersed myself in that sport. And that's kind of where the dream began. That is incredible. And for what it's worth, you talk about buying a stock, buying it low, and now seeing it explode. You got in on Amazon, bro. Let's be honest. <laughs> you got in on Amazon, on Apple, on one of those stocks at the ground level. And now you've seen the baby take off. So congrats to you and all your success. And thank you. I bring you on the podcast, not just to talk about your career and all your accolades, yeah. but because you are rocking your We Here sweatshirt and you're this diehard New York Knicks fan. It's music to my ears, Ariel. And for you being a guy from Canada, how did you fall in love with the Knicks? 1990, I'm eight years old. Uh, I have two older brothers who unfortunately were big time Bulls fans, as were most most kids back then. Everybody getting on the Michael Jordan bag line. Exactly. Course, yeah. uh, and again, I was not a bandwagon kind of guy. As you I had to be different. Okay. I had to be different. So we walk into a shoe store. I'll never forget it. And they say, you should get those shoes. Now, in retrospect, I actually think that they were ribbing me by telling me this, but it led to my fandom. Those shoes were Patrick Ewing shoes. Now, if you remember, Patrick Ewing shoes 
were a little bulky. They weren't quite as cool as the Jordans. Very well, colorful. Well, they Reeboks, I want to say. No, they, they were Reeboks? Ewings. He oh, had his own. Ewings. He had his, he had own, his own line. line. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. Which has been resurrected, by the way, and is actually a lot cooler. Uh, you could check them out on, on social media. They actually uh, do a lot of cool stuff. So I bought the shoes, and then I wanted to know who this Ewing guy was. Now, I'm eight years old, so I'm very impressionable. And this is, you know, the beginning of the the Ewing, Xavier McDaniel teams, 91, 92. You know, they, they go seven games in 92 with the Bulls. I remember watching that and crying my eyes out when they lost in the, in the, the seventh game. And I just fell in love with the blue collar team, I, like Ewing, I mean, I had, you know, the closest thing to what I would think is like an unhealthy obsession with Patrick Ewing. Like I, I idolized Patrick Ewing, Ewing, Starks, Mason, Oakley, all those guys. And uh, this is, you know, people are like, oh, you're Canadian Raptors. This is pre-Raptors. Raptors came 94, 95 season. So I was all in. I mean, by 94, 95, Knicks had already made the finals. We had 93, up 2-0, all that stuff. So I was entrenched, copied everything, wore 33. I mean, I just adored the Knicks. So, uh, and then, of course, you know, 97 and then 99, all that stuff. And I just, that was my team. My, my, my favorite three teams growing up, Knicks, Bills, Expos. Those are my three teams. I wasn't even a big Canadians fan, believe it or not. I was very much an American sports fan. And at the very top of the list were the New York Knickerbockers. 93 Knicks, 94 Knicks. 96, 97 Knicks, best team in a three. So, okay, it's hard for me to go against the 94 Knicks because they're obviously the ones who got over the hump. Um, of course, Michael wasn't around in 94. They still beat the Bulls, and I'd like to think they would have beaten them anyway. 93 was heartbreaking. That's uh, optimistic on your part. Yeah, yeah, Considering yeah, all absolutely. those battles of Jordan over the years. It, it's I fine. I don't know okay. if I feel that way. 93... Uh, we were up 2-0, as you know. Well, and did you see the Starks dunk, by the way? They're showing all yeah. the clips. I actually get annoyed when I see it, Ariel, because I think about having a 2-0 lead and then flushing it down the toilet and losing four consecutive games. Like, it's like it's like what are we a Met fan and you see the Andy Chavez catch. It's like, I don't want to see this. My team lost. I, I know the end right. result. By the way, shout out to Andy Chavez, former Montreal Expo. Look number at 19. you. Oh, come Seamless on. That's my, that was my guy. Right there. Proud oh, of you that, for that. that. That's my guy. Listen, I could go. Uh, we could talk Expos all day. And uh, Mets and, and, and Yankees as well. Uh, of course, you know, uh, David Cohen, perfect game against the Expos. We don't have to talk about that. Orlando Listen, Cabrera, by the way, making me last out of that perfect game. Yeah, number 18. Um, so I don't subscribe to the 97 thing, by the way. I heard you and Breen, who, by the way, the 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 mensch of all menches, one of the greatest human beings I've ever come across. I've had the opportunity to work with him briefly, and it's just been a dream come true. And I heard you guys talking about how '97 was the team and all that. Look, they would have beaten the 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 Heat had that whole thing with Charlie Ward and PJ Brown. I don't know if they get over the hump. I, I think it's a great what if story to say that was the team, but ultimately I'm gonna go with '94. I'm gonna go with '94. I can understand I, that. I actually think the '93 team was better than the '94 team. Because they Why? beat out Chicago, home court advantage. They had that yeah. unbelievable winning streak of Madison Square Garden. And then, of course, the Charles Smith game ends up happening. The reason the 96-97 team intrigued me, Ariel, they won that game in Chicago. They added legitimate perimeter shooting that they yeah. didn't have at any point with those teams. Houston coming in. Larry Johnson coming in. I want to see that series bad. You're probably right. Chicago ultimately probably wins the series. I think it would have been a hell of a fight. You, you remind me of two of my favorite Game 6s in, in Knicks history. Number one, Game 6, 94 Eastern Conference Finals. They're in down, Indiana. In Great Indiana. Point. Great I mean, point. Do you remember Derek Harper with the steal with around like 90 seconds left? 
massive steal. I remember Spike being in the corner and, and the high five with Starks. And then game six against the Heat after the brawl, which they lost. But I'll never forget... I'm pretty sure Scott Brooks and Herb Williams started that game. Yes, they did. All it was like suspensions. eight men, one yeah, mission. Exactly. It was like that an electric, yes. crazy frenzy. Uh, and they played great for like a quarter and a half. And then they just completely ran out of gas. It was so – like I remember they played that video. And I, I can't find it anywhere. I've tried to find that game everywhere. And you could find it on, on YouTube, but they skipped the intro. And it said – this game is dedicated to all those who believe. And I'm freaking 15 years old in my parents' basement, and I am out of my mind. And you remember, that was the one season where they brought the three-point in, and Morning hit a three at the top of the at the top of the, the, the three-point line to, to seal the deal at the end of the game. And I, I maintain till this day, if they don't change that three-point line, maybe we win the series despite being shorthanded. A lot of great memories. A Do lot of, you get a lot of the sense, moves. and I don't. I got to see how this series plays out. The overreaction to one game about making Trey Young now the next Reggie Miller, the next Michael Jordan. Let's and I understand it was dramatic in Game One, and he was giving the fans all sorts of heat and all sorts of shit. Ariel, let's calm down with that narrative. A little premature. I couldn't agree more. He's a great player, great shooter. Um, he will be a great player for many years to come. My my worst fears were realized in the first I don't know eight to nine minutes because I had been saying to some of my friends who are Knicks fans as well. One of the best things to happen to this team, and I'd love to do a sliding doors thing to see if this is truly um, legit, and I believe it is. One of the best things to happen to this young squad that had no experience together making a run like this was playing in front of zero people at the very beginning of the season. There was That's no pressure. Point. I think no it probably pressure. helped a lot of those young guys. Absolutely. I mean, it was reminiscent somewhat of the bubble where there was no pressure on these players. They could go out. There's no glitz. There's no celebrities. And you saw early on how they were playing coming together. And so here we go, first game of the playoffs, first game in many of these players' playoff careers, Julius Randle, most notable, and there's freaking 15,000 people there, everyone's hyped there, and you saw how tentative they were. So that was one big fear, and now all of a sudden, I'm starting, and by the way, they were going to win that game, like RJ gets that steal, the game is over, they, they got lucky, you know, Bogdanovich, he's a great player, but like we, we had that game. Here's my biggest fear, I'm getting flashbacks of 2013, Mike Woodson Pacers, where all of a sudden, and by the way, Alfred Payton, I mean, he reminds me of James White from that 2013 season. He'll play three minutes, and then Woody would take him out, and it's much ado about nothing. Now we're starting to hear that they're they're thinking about, and I, th- I hope if, if this comes out after game two, I'm sorry for dating us, but... It, nah, it, don't it, be, because it's going up tonight anyway. So okay. Game two so, will be out on Wednesday. It's all the, good. I don't want to bench Peyton. We got this far with Peyton starting, playing for three minutes. Well, you know Rose. you're yanking him out of the game. I'm exactly. with you there. The don't idea put in the of losing sleep on Alfred Peyton starting two or three no. minutes to me is a total waste. Because it's about who's finishing these games. And yes. It's about who's getting a majority of the minutes. And you and I both know guys like Rose, Quickly's getting a ton of time. Bullock's getting a ton of time. Those are going to be the guys that end up playing. You're not going to see Peyton at the end of these games. And what about putting in Nilakina, who, you know, listen, I will go to bat for any Knicks player. Uh, I love the Knicks. Uh, the the Knicks fans sort of obsession with Nilakina being some sort of like, you know, guy that they wouldn't trade for anyone on the planet yeah, to me is comical. bizarre. I never bought into that. To bizarre. me, he's always the guy that took over Donovan Mitchell. That's the way yeah. I look at Frankie Smokes. He, he's, he's a solid ninth guy. If um, that. You're being yes. nice by saying ninth guy. Putting him in yeah, nice. in a crucial period like that off the bench, he hasn't played a second the entire game against Trey Young. Like I, I'll take Derrick Rose's seen chances. A lot, I, I get it ends up being a bad optic. We've seen Tibbs do this though a ton throughout the regular yeah. season. 
I, I remember they played Indiana late in the year, and he put Nilakina in like final possession in the game, and he got a steal. It's one of those moves, Ariel, where if it doesn't work, you look like a jackass. That's really what it comes down to. And it didn't matter who was guarding him, whether it was Peyton, whether it was Rose, whether it was RJ. Nobody could slow down Trey Young. And can they make Trey Young go to his offhand? I mean, holy yes. moly, make him go to his offhand. Yeah, Clyde was all over that. Uh, and so great to hear Clyde and Mike do the game. I agree with you. My my one thing is, going back to the previous point, a little different to do that, you know, game one of the NBA playoffs as opposed to, you know, game, game 57. Yeah. That's fair. And, and, and by the way, Nilakina's first playoff game as well. I mean, you're telling me he's not nervous walking into that spot against Trey Young. So, look, hindsight is 2020. I will never say a negative thing about Tibbs. The guy's a legend. I think he should be coach of the year. Uh, so happy to see that Randall was, was named most improved. I think he should be MVP, perhaps unbiased. The point is... I won't question that man, and I just have this vision. I love, I love the. I, I'm not sure if they said it. And by the way, look, can I just say, you know, as a tangent here, you're doing a phenomenal job, and it's, it's, it's one of the great moves that the Ringer has done as of late, bringing you in because. Oh, that's nice of you to say. Bro. Oh man, you're a must listen that. for me, especially the Knicks. Like, like a little less Yankees, if I can ask, and a little more Knicks well, would I be mean, great. Have the Knicks continue to keep winning games I and mean, they can win know. shows? That's and and, and by the way. That. I'll take Ian Eagle any day. Like, I'm not, you know, a total... Well, how you know, lucky are we, by the way, Aaron, yeah. in New York to have Ian Eagle and Mike Breen doing our games for basketball? That's it. And Ryan Rucco, when you throw him in. And Kenny yeah. Albert. It's absurd yeah. when you think about it. It is. It really is. I mean, I, I don't know if any market and a sport within that market has talent like that. I mean, you're talking about, like, the A guys nationally for the biggest networks and there are local guys. It's an amazing thing. But yeah, no, it's uh it's it's a it's a it's an amazing thing that they gave you here and they the, the opportunity that you're getting is uh is tremendous and what a time, right? I mean if you did this two years ago when New York sports was in the toilet, maybe not as exciting Wouldn't but be now as you've gotten a bad I can tell you as a guy who was doing radio shows for five hours a night, yeah. one to five thirty or one to six in the morning. Definitely not as fun when you only got one or two relevant teams to talk about. Are you looking at Randall's bad game one? Glass half empty that, you know, Randall played terribly. Is this a sign of things to come? I'm glass half full. To me, the Knicks were right there. He played his worst game of the year. Ariel, he can't play any worse in game two. It's impossible. Couldn't agree more. Horrendous game, nightmare game. Somewhat expected because of the crowd, because of his first playoff game, because of everything that went into it. And, And look, hey, credit to the Hawks. Great D. Nate McMillan's a great coach. You know, they locked him up. All right, now. He has to give up the ball a little quicker. You know, don't let, don't get double teamed. Like, he has to make some smarter choices here and there. But for the most part, you know, as you alluded to as well, like Reggie had a horrendous game. Like a lot, you know, RJ had an okay game, had the big dunk. But for the most part, that team didn't show up. That wasn't the team that we had seen down the stretch this year. Now, the other thing I've learned about this team is they don't get rattled. And I'm expecting a big game. See, I'm I expecting... think they're going to roll game too. I'm yeah, with you there a thousand percent. This they team get has rattled. gotten off the mat every single time. This is not going to be so ho-hum, easy series. I'd be stunned if the Knicks gave you a lousy effort tomorrow night. Stunned. 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 Absolutely stunned. I mean, obviously, it's a must-win. You can't lose the first two games at home. Uh, They lose that. I mean, they're in a really tough spot. But I'm expecting a big performance. You hate to lose game one at home. You fought so hard for home court. But look, we still got six more. But you got to figure you're going to get one in Atlanta. I'll tell you this right now, Ariel. I'll sign on the dotted line for 2-2 going back to the Garden for game five. You win? 2-2 Oh, you got to take that. That's winning two of the next three. You got to take that, right? I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah. And then you you hope that you can find a way to win the two games at home. I was expecting this. I mean, I wasn't expecting less than six. 
I was leaning towards seven. It was making me nervous. I saw on ESPN.com like 13 out of the 15 guys they they pulled, you know, the writers, the great writers they have there, picked the Knicks. Oh, I, it's I, terrible news. I, I don't like I it. I don't, that, yeah, I, I, I didn't I like it. I hated it. My friend sent it to me and I was like, this is the word. I wish Kiss you did the same thing. Yes, Kiss I don't want death. that. Everyone, I like being the underdog. I like everyone sleeping on us. I actually feel like the Hawks have this mentality that everyone's like going back out the Oh, McMillan said it the other day. He's like, yeah. nobody wants us to win. Everybody wants the Knicks to win. And, I hate that. You know, he's using that to his advantage. And I'm sure Trey Young is using that Gordon Kratt to his advantage. I'm taking them. I'm doubling down. I took them for the series at even money. I got two to one right now. I pounced on the Knicks. Wow. I'm taking them plus 195. I'm going down with this shit, Ariel. Can I ask you this? If they lose in, say, six, let's say, God forbid, still, great still a tremendous season, right? Like, season. This is all great, great gravy Great, Totally yeah. agree. I don't know okay. how anybody, considering the franchise has been a toilet for the last eight years. They've really been in the toilet the last 20 years. They haven't mm-hmm. sniffed the postseason. And their Vegas total was, what, in the low 20s this year? Yeah. Being a four seed, having a home court advantage, I, I don't care if you lose round one, round two, round whatever. It's all house money. So I'll pat myself on the back a little bit. They were 22 and a half in Vegas. I did a prediction thing for ESPN. I, I, I said they're going to win more than 30. I didn't put a number. but Not I said a terrible prediction. Because I believe more bullish than I was. I thought they were going to be awful. I, so more than 30, but I thought more than 30. I thought 31, 32. I thought ninth seed. I thought we'd get the play in. I didn't think four seed. I didn't think home court. I didn't think you know a playoff series was possible to win. And so they win the playoff series. I mean, this it's like the closest thing to, you know, 94 that we've had or 99. Um, but even if they lose, I hate to say it, I, you know, I'm not a moral victory guy, but even if they lose this one and it's winnable, it's right there for the taking. You know, I talked to some Knicks fans and they're like, oh, so who cares? They're just going to lose in the first round. Have you not seen them for the past seven years? They've won They've been one pathetic. playoff series in 20 years. Come on. Think about all those playoff series. You and I grew up with, with Ewing and they were expected to be there year after year. Then you go 20 years, you basically have two or three playoff series and one series win. Yes, I'd gladly sign on the dotted line for a series win, even if it means you get smoked by Philadelphia in the second round. Sounds Absolutely. Fun. And by the way, I'll take Philadelphia. No problem. Well, we'll one thing at a time here, Ariel. <laughs> first things first. Let's get through Mr. Young and let's do the, get through the Atlanta Hawks first. Now, have you adopted the Blue Jays yes. in the same way? that you once rooted for the Montreal Expos. That's a tough spot to lose no. your team. It can't be the same, right? No, 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 not even close. So what happened was diehard Expos fan, uh, you know, I was there in 94, August 12th, the strike hits. Should have been heart. a Yankee Expo World Series. Absolutely, it absolutely. It was trending in that direction. Uh, we were the best team in baseball. It drives me nuts when the Braves talk about consecutive NLEs titles. We, we had that NLEs title in 94, and we know about the players that they produced over the years. And so, you know, they go away in 2004. The last three games were at Shea. I was there and it was heartbreaking. And I got to be honest with you, from 2004, so like the following season was 2005, from 2005 to probably 2014, I don't know if I watched an inning of baseball. I was heartbroken. I mean, it, like, you well, know, it's crushing. You lose your childhood team. That's you that's lose. Tough. Like, it's not like they go. I would have taken O and one sixty two for ten years just to have my team to be able to watch them. MLB yeah, the hats, the uniforms, the hats are badass. By the way, I actually tremendous. had one back in the day. I don't know what happened to it. I had the red back. The red practice, oh. Montreal Expo hat. Sick I mean, it's hat. one of the great logos. It's one of the great logos, and uh, it was hard. But then what happened was, um, I became a dad of a son and then a dad of a second son. And, you know, 
you you want to root for like uh, I was like okay what am I just not going to watch baseball with my kids like this is this is like a rite of passage I want I want to go to a game with my kids and it coincided with that one season where uh, Alex Anthopoulos went for it and oh, got they David, brought, Price. David Price they brought in Tulowitzki the backflip yeah. with Bautista that crazy Josh, fifth Josh game. Donaldson and what Donaldson was some Blue Jay too yes he was terrific for that AL MVP they got him for a bag of balls. And I actually ended up meeting Josh Donaldson and Aaron Sanchez at a, a UFC event. Donaldson couldn't have been nicer. Like, w- blew me away by how nice he was. He's like DMing. And like, we become buds. Um, and I was like, all right, this is my team. It's Canada's team. They, you know, they, they go to those two playoffs. They play the Kansas City Royals that first season and uh, make it to the ALCS. And they had a great squad. Uh, Stroman comes back from the ACL. And so then I was all in. But I'll say this. I mean, nothing will ever compare it to my fandom. That's my hometown. It, it's. I know some of my friends are like, Montreal, you can't root for a Toronto team. I mean, the Canadians are playing the Maple Leafs right now. I hate the Maple Leafs. You're just, you're just, you know, it's Boston and New York, that sort of thing. But it makes it a little easier now. You got my guy, Vladdy Jr., the face of baseball, the, the best player in baseball right now. I don't care what anyone says. The fans get all mad at me on Twitter when I say he's the face of baseball, Tatis and, uh, you know, Okuna and all that stuff. Get out of here. Vladdy is the face of baseball. He will continue to be the face of baseball. Oh, he hit a and bomb so that's, against my team today. That's right. That was, that uh, was, and by the way, he looks like he's in great shape. That's the thing. Well, 30, Everyone, 40 pounds. He's got a little bit more mobility well, I mean, to him now. Let's be honest. He was completely out of shape last yeah, he year. he was completely overweight. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Let himself go. But that's the spawn of arguably the greatest right fielder in the history of Major League Baseball. Was oh, he was arm. impossible to pitch to. Yeah. I loved watching it. And I don't know how in the world he was in a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, the writers got to explain that one to me. I mean, you got to put him in on it. I know some people say it doesn't matter. They're in. No, 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 no. Vlad Guerrero is one of the best hitters of my generation because if you put it at his eyes, you put it in the dirt, you put it in the other's batter's box, you couldn't pitch to the guy. I remember Rivera was like, what do I do to this guy? Where right. exactly do I put this pitch? He's going to hit it. I've seen balls bounce and then he hits them. Uh, and by the way, never in one at bat in Major League Baseball, never wore batting gloves. One of the one of the last who never wore That's batting gloves. That's a hard move. That's a yeah. badass move. I would do that from time to time to try to break a slump, <laughs> but I'm not Black Guerrero Jr. What odds are you giving me right now um, for my Dolphins to beat out your Bills in Gosh. the AFC East? Am I getting two to one? Am I getting three to one? Am I getting steak dinner? What, what is the bet, Ariel? I got to know. Well, I'll, I'll give you the odds, and then I'd love to know if you're actually serious by asking this question because well, there's I'm no getting, chance in I'm hell. I'm getting odds here. Yeah, Your okay, team okay. is better than mine, so but I'm like, getting odds. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, eight to one comes to mind. Oh, that's way too much. I mean, if really? you give me eight to one, I'll gladly take it. I'll gladly they have take no it. chance. You got they have no chance. The, they have no, no chance. chance. No, they have a chance. You think they have a chance? It's the NFL. Of course they have a chance. Mm, I think your team is better, but it's the NFL. Anything I mean, can happen. Have it's you seen not Josh Kansas Allen? He, he's very good. He's very <laughs> impressive. And for what it's worth, he kills my team. Kills my team. It seems like he saves his best performances for going up against my Miami Dolphins. But if you're giving me 8-1, to one, Ariel, out of principle, I'm taking 8-1. to one. I Well, that's just say 3-1. to one. Well, that's just a reflection, to be honest, of how um, you know how, how that is your how big the gap is. swagger yeah. right there. That's what that is. I mean, look, uh, I believe from essentially 2001 to I don't know last year. I mean, I had the worst luck of any sports fan. My baseball team ceased to exist in that period. The Knicks became a laughing stock. The Bills were the last team 
in the NFL to make the playoffs in the 21st century. Thankfully, you know, Andy Dalton helped them out a couple of years ago and that kind of broke the, the streak. So, you know, yes, I am feeling myself right now, John, and I will be a cocky fan and I will be insufferable. And I really do think that the Bills in the next two, three years can win the Super Bowl. I, I love what they've built. I don't have a problem with that take. I'm just going to tell you point blank. You're giving me eight to one odds. I'm taking them. So listen. You, you, Dolphins, do, who finishes in second in your opinion? Dolphins. You think, I think so? I think they're a better team than the Patriots. I do. I think the Patriots right now have done something that is very uncharacteristic of the Patriot way, which is spend a boatload of money in free agency. When do you ever see Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots go out and spend $100 million or beyond that in free agent contracts. I, I like where the Dolphins are at. I think they had a sneaky good offseason. I think they will be better than... Listen, I, I want to take your action here on Buffalo. I would still pick Buffalo to win the division, but a kid could dare to dream, my friend. And by the way, as, as a New York guy, as a proud New York guy, shame on you for not rooting for New York's only football team. No. I mean, come on. Uh, That's New York's on. only football team. I, I, I mean... Uh, Listen, Jets, Miami. Well, the Jets and the Giants. Remember, Dave Brown, Jersey's team, Rich Cotite, and yeah. you know, I wasn't a Syracuse guy at that point. So before we get you out of here, okay, if there's one Syracuse institution you would like to visit the next time you were up there for a beverage, for a meal, uh, don't tell me to carry a dome. Doesn't count. No. What would that spot be? I used to frequent the uh, the Pita Grill on Mar. What what year did you? Uh... So I graduated. I'm a baby. I graduated 2010. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm a baby. That's okay. That's why I shave. I look like 15 years younger. But on Marshall Street. Saha, or were you a Peter Pitt guy? Peter Pitt. Why did I say Peter Pitt? I was a Peter Pitt guy. Peter Pitt. Peter Pitt Pitt. was fantastic. Apparently, it's all over the place. I just don't know where it is. It's nowhere near me in Brooklyn. So I have never seen it outside of of that one. I don't know if that was a chain or something, but I It might be a college town chain. I think it is. But we got to get on that. We got to get one in our neighborhood. My parents are Middle Eastern, so you know I, I usually go towards that kind of food, and it was it felt like a little taste of home. So if I had to pick, the, I'll be honest, the first place that came to mind when you asked that question was that or the Sabaros at the uh, the Shine Auditorium because I used to hang out there a lot because I had no friends. Oh, I find that horrible. <laughs> well, you're my friend. You're this show's friend. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate a couple minutes, and I'll be negotiating the terms of that Bills <laughs> Dolphins bet. We'll talk, okay? I can't wait. Thanks for having me, and go Knicks. Let's go. That's the great Ariel Helani, MMA extraordinaire. We got voicemails coming up. We'll set the stage for game two. All that more. It's New York, New York right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. So I'll be working on those terms between now and the first Sunday of the NFL season. I mean, if Ariel is going to give me eight to one odds on the Miami Dolphins to win the division, I mean, are you kidding me? I'm going to pounce on that. They're like plus 300 or plus 350 over at FanDuel. 
So if I'm going to get a better line, Ariel's in the given spirit, I'll gladly take it without hesitation. So before we get to voicemails, I'm super excited about what we have coming up on Wednesday and what we have coming up on Friday. So here's what we're going to do. Right after Knicks Hawks goes final, the minute you see zeros on the clock, I am going to be live. And I think for those of you who follow me on Instagram, you know the deal. I usually do these Instagram lives. I have a cocktail and, you know, we let it rip. This is going to be even better because we're going to be on this app called Locker Room. It's really cool. I can take live telephone calls. So if you leave voicemails, get on the horn live Wednesday night, right after the game. I will tweet out the link. I will Instagram the link. You will be able to find it. I'm going to start. We're going to shoot the shit a little bit. And I'm going to get to you. You can join the show and you can participate and have a conversation with the show live. And if you're good, I'll keep you around a couple of minutes. If you're not so good, I'm going to get rid of you. It's kind of how I roll. But I'm really excited for this. Wednesday after game two, Friday after game three. It might be 20 minutes. It might be an hour. It might be two hours. It's going to depend on my mood. And if you miss it live, we'll have it posted in podcast form if everything goes according to plan. But I'm excited about this because it's going to be a little live react, a little read react, like I'm uh, Peyton Manning at the line of scrimmage, audibling to seeing, you know, whatever the hell is going on in this thick game. So locker room app, download, find New York, New York, find John Jastrzemski, and get involved. That's how we going to rock and roll on Wednesday and Friday? So I hope you guys are ready for that. You know what I'm ready for? Listen to voicemails. You guys, I'm sure, are fired up. This is game two at Madison Square Garden, Wednesday night. What a time to be alive. Who's up? My name is Vic from New York. I want to say, fuck Trey Young. Like, <laughs> fuck Trey Young. Am I hating? Yeah, I'm hating. Like, yeah, switching the crowd. Fuck out of here. Somebody get that little boy body off the floor. Third grade body having thin hair. Teeth too big for his mouth. Off the floor. Bully that little boy. I'm against bullying in school. I'm against it. But somebody bully that. R.J. Barrett, Frank Killakina, somebody. I'd be embarrassed. Yeah, we played hard. We played hard. And we probably should have had that game. But somebody bully that little boy. Can we put him down? Somebody. I hope that the Knicks let their play do the talking. I don't want to hear Nick fan chirping left and right about Trey Young, and then he goes off for another 40 or 45 points, or 30 points and gets a game-winning shot. Let the play do the talking. The Knicks have been a resilient, feisty team all year. They have played great defense all year. They need to draw up their best defensive game plan of the year in this pivotal game, too. This is where you got to trust your head coach. He's answered the bell. This team has answered the bell. Every single time this year. Why should I expect anything else? Who's on the horn next? Hey, JJ. It's Robbie from the Bronx. Uh, I just want to say I've been loving the new podcast. Um, and New York, New York's been real awesome. Um, I just want to, you know, my first call in. I just want to ask, you know, um, you know, with the Knicks, do we think Alfred Payton should just never step on the court ever for the rest of the playoffs as long as we're in? Because... He does nothing. And then a quick thing about the uh, the Mets. 
do you think if they put uh, pull through this, it'll be like how we were with the Yankees in 2019? So I think if they can somehow stay in first place, they actually are really good going forward. All right, thanks, JJ. Once again, love the new show. Robbie in the Bronx, one of my all-time favorites. I think he brings up an interesting comparison. 2019 Yankees and what you're looking at right now with the 2021 New York Mets. The Yankees really took off, though, in 19. End of May into June. The Mets got all these great contributions, but over the last week, they've kind of gone in the tank a little bit. I agree with the premise of your point. If they're able to stay in first place and survive this laundry list of injuries, I think they're in a real good spot to go win the division for the first time since 2015. But they have to do that. And that requires beating Colorado, let's say, two more times, playing well against Atlanta, and continuing to play well. Because they're basically trying to hold this baby together with duct tape. I mean, that's basically what they're trying to do. And it's not pretty. I don't know if they're going to be as dynamic with the next man up as the Yankees were in 2019. Because that Yankee team went on and won 100 games. I don't know if the Mets are going to do that. It's more about the narrative of holding it together. And as far as Alfred Payton, he's a stiff. He better not be on this team next year. He started all year. I'm not suggesting he should get crunch time minutes. I'm not suggesting that he should play a lot. Him starting for a couple of minutes right out of the gate does not keep me up at night. I think I have more of an issue of seeing him start the third quarter. And at least Tibbs is at a very, very quick hook. First quarter and third quarter at the end of the year, and we've seen it in the postseason. They're not going to mess with that. I mean, I've seen coaches do this. Jim Beheim used to do this all the time. I remember Fab Mello, the late Fab Mello, his freshman year. He would play him for two minutes at a time and then take him right out of the game. Dewan Coleman, Rakeem Christmas. So Jimmy Beheim and Tom Thibodeau kind of have that in common. Who's up next? Hey, JJ, it's Trump from Long Island. Thanks so much for taking the call. Listen, just wanted to call about what I think are two of the most electric crowds in sports. I'm so excited for this Wednesday night to have the Islanders at the Coliseum, followed by the rejuvenated Knicks crowd at the Garden. might be a little rare for me being an Islanders and a Knicks fan, but it just seems like in the 90s when the Knicks were up, the Islanders were down. In recent years, the Islanders have kind of turned its way up, and the Knicks have been down. It is so cool to have both these crowds finally together, literally on the same night. I cannot wait to go into the Islanders game and hope to watch the next game at Marriott next door. I just can't wait for these crowds to finally come alive. I may have a New York bias, but I think they're two of the best, loudest fan bases in all sports, particularly in the playoffs. So super excited for Wednesday night. Let's go Islanders. Let's go Knicks. Take care, JJ. Appreciate it. And you got to love the fact, I know my buddy Nittany Lion Mike Fliegelman loves this fact, that the Islanders and the Knicks are staggered in their game time starts. Islanders at 6.30, Knicks at 7.30. So it kind of gives you a little bit of buffer. I mean, listen, you're going to be watching both games anyway. You're going to be at the Islander game, and then you're going to the Marriott, catch the second half. That's, that's a beautiful plan right there. That is a beautiful, beautiful plan. And you're hoping that it is not the last time you're going to be going to the old barn. Not the last time you're going to the Nassau Coliseum because, listen, we're invested in this series. We need the Islanders to take care of business. And I don't want to be sweating out of game seven. It's amazing. They played terribly for three periods. They were tied. They were the better team in overtime. I got up for a minute. I saw that double overtime goal happening basically right in front of my face. And I was hooting and hollering like crazy. Money talks, baby. Money talks.
But yes, I expect both of those crowds, the Gordon crowd, to follow up what we heard on Sunday night. And I expect the barn with a chance to go to the second round of the playoffs to be off the rails. Who's on the horn next? JJ, what's up? Danny from Edison. I got something next, brother. Um, positives and negatives, man. Uh, positives are they got absolutely shit from Julius Randle and mostly shit from RJ Barrett. And despite that, they were still right there, man. Two point. I mean, a heartbreaking loss at the buzzer. I, I'm, I'm still dying over it today. But one thing I, I don't understand, I'm looking at the way the Hawks played Julius Randle. They smothered him. They trapped him. They doubled him. Why didn't the Knicks do the same thing to Trey Young? I mean, the pick and rolls. I mean, I watched Nerlens Noel, who I love as a rim protector. I watched him, first of all, go, trying to go over the screens the way the Hawks set him is futile because you just you end up right at the guy's back, and, and it's pointless. You may as well go under and have the big come out and show on the shot. But, I mean, Nerlens Noel is trying to, trying to stay with his guy and halfway stay with Young, and he ends up just leaving the lane, opening up for him to come and do a teardrop. He saw it over and over and over again. Get the ball out of Young's hands, just like they did to Randall. Get it out of Young's hands. Make Bogdanovich break my heart. Make someone else beat me, man. I can't. I could not watch Young with the pick and roll over and over and over and over. Trap him. Trap him, man. We can win this series, JJ. We can win this. We lost by two points with Randall having the worst game he's had all season. That's probably not going to happen again, right? We can win this, but you got to figure out how to stop the pick and roll. All right, brother. Love you, man. Talk to you soon. Danny, you the man. Fair point. The end of that game, you did not have confidence the Knicks were slowing down Trey Young. In fact, with the way that fourth quarter unfolded, you almost expected him to go and get the game winner. And that's exactly what happened. I have no problem if they're going to intensify throwing extra bodies at him, forcing the ball out of his hands, and making somebody else on the Atlanta Hawks beat you. The problem is Atlanta does have guys who are capable of doing so. Whether it's Collins, whether it is Bogdanovich, whether it is Gallinari, Wu Williams, they have bodies that can beat you. They're a more talented team than the Knicks. That's why pacing, and that's why defense, in many ways, is going to decide whether or not the Knicks can go and win this series. And Randall's going to be better. I am fairly confident in saying that. I'm, beyond, I'm actually not fairly confident. I'm beyond confident in saying that. Randall will not be as bad as he was in game one. There's just no way. There's no way. And the effort is going to be way better from the Knicks. And the execution. And if it's not, this is not going to be a lengthy series. Last but not least, who's out? What up, JJ? Justin from Nyack. Uh, I had a question regarding the trade deadline. Uh, obviously, the pitching has been phenomenal this year, better than I think anyone's expected. But I think, uh, obviously, flashbacks to the Astros, Cassie Seng put while they landed, uh, Cole, Granky, and Roder L through trades. Do you think... Uh, potentially a team like the Red Sox or the White Sox or an NL Giant like Dodgers getting a pitch like Matt Scherzer. Do you think the fear of you know, letting that happen again and losing one of those teams because we didn't make a trade deadline will maybe have to be a little more aggressive this year with a Matt Scherzer type or another you know, ace? I just want to hear your thoughts on that because that's been something that went over my head for the last couple of years. Um, thanks. Uh, go Nick. It's going to be very interesting to see what the Washington Nationals decide to do with Scherzer. If he is on the market, even though the Yankee pitching has been spectacular, you have to make that call. Would I be fearful of Boston or Chicago landing Max Scherzer? Yeah, I mean, the White Sox pitching is good. We saw Rondon the other night. 
he was electric. Giolito is really, really good. You don't want Scherzer going to a competitor in the AL. Let's find out first if the Nationals are going to trade him. The Yankee priority, though, to me, if we're just looking at this team and what they need to address between now and the end of July, they need a bat. And they need a left-handed outfield bat. I saw a rumor about Joey Gallo earlier today. I don't love it. He's lefty, hits for power, he strikes out a ton. To me, a guy like David Peralta makes a lot more sense. The great Matt Woodside suggested this name to me if the Royals fall out of it. How crazy would it be if the Yankees made a play for Andrew Benintendi? Wouldn't that be wild? Former Red Sox, basically cast aside, ends up in Kansas City. Benintendi would fit the Yankees. He would. He's a good defender. He's a left-handed bat. Kind of has a different vibe to what they currently have in the lineup. Peralta or Benintendi. Two guys that, to me, are better fits in the Yankee pinstripes than a guy like Joey Gallo. Lefty bat, outfield bat, though. I have that on the list. One note before we get to all the serious prices stuff and all the gambling stuff. This bothered me to no end in the Met game. Bothered me to no end. Thankfully, it didn't have an impact on the game. The ticky-tag bullshit with some of the replays is an out-and-out disgrace. I understand the purpose of having instant replay. Instant replay is a good thing. Do not make the narrative now that instant replay is a bad thing. Instant replay is needed in some form. Jacob deGrom hits a hustle double, and we are like analyzing if his spike is off the base by an inch. What in the world are we doing? Then VR had the slide play third base. Same shit. That stuff drives me nuts. This is going to sound like the old man yelling at a cloud. That's fine. That bothered me tonight. And I'm glad. Otherwise, it would have been in our open. I would have spent a lot more time on it. But that bothered me tonight. So now the stage is set. Wednesday night, loaded, loaded card of sports. And I have to admit, as confident as I am that the Knicks are going to respond because of what I've seen all year, because of this head coach, because of this team's DNA and their intestinal fortitude, I'm a little alarmed that the entire world is betting the Knicks and that this line has gone from two and a half to two. I don't care. This is where I am letting the emotions and this is where I'm letting the 82 game or the 70 game, whatever the hell it was, the sample size of the season override my Vegas instincts. My Vegas instincts would say, take the Hawks. Not a must-win game for the Knicks. Not with this Knicks team being... The sort of grinded out, lovable, impressive bunch that they've been all year. I'm taking the Knicks. Now, I'm not taking them lane two. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take them on a money line. I will lay the additional juice. Knicks, money line, first play. Second play that I have circled that I'm thinking long and hard about. And it's going to be a little contrarian. I think it's going to surprise a whole lot of people. I like the Sixers laying the eight against Washington. I think Philadelphia had a very bizarre game one. I thought they had a very disjointed game one. And some are going to say, well, 
they're not this world beater team. They're going to have a couple of tough, grinded out games in the postseason. Take Washington. Take the points. Take the more desperate team. Here's why I like Philly from a numbers standpoint. 96% of the money is on Washington. 64% of the tickets on Washington. This line's gone from seven and a half to eight. This kind of reminds me of what we saw in game two with Brooklyn and with Boston. Same sort of narrative. That's what I'm pushing. I'm going with the better team. I'm laying the points. Washington will probably have a moment in this series. I think it will be in game three. It will not be in game two. I'm all over the Sixers. Now, Island defense. A chance to clinch. To go to the second round. The Islanders right now are even money against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Even money. They made the goaltender change. They have won back-to-back games. You know the public is going to be on the Penguins here in this spot. What I was surprised to see, though, the betting tickets, just about 50-50. I don't look at the Islanders as a team that's incapable of winning a game seven on the road. I, I, I don't view it that way. I've already seen the Islanders go and win a couple of games in Pittsburgh. So I don't look at this as a must for them. The way I do with the Knicks in game two, where I'm like, geez, the Knicks better win a game at home because they had the first two in their building. Very, very tough game to handicap. Very, very tough game to handicap. You guys know I'm invested in the series price. I'm going to ride with that. I'm not going to get invested in game six. If I see that line move towards the Islanders, I will probably pounce on the Islanders. But right now, with it, even money, I'm just going to lay off. Just going to lay off. And I'm hoping and praying my Vegas Golden Knight beak is going to hit because they ended up losing game five. I have that serious price of even money. We don't want to be sweating that one out. Vegas is like my adopted hockey team. The great Anthony Syosset will attest to that. We have hopped on board the Golden Knights the last couple of years. They've made us a whole lot of work. Whole lot of work. So, that's the card for the NBA and the NHL playoffs. I will be hopping on the Yankee run line tomorrow as well because sooner or later, the Yankees are going to find a way to beat the Blue Jays. It's a hefty line at 162. I am not laying 162 with the Yankees. I will take them on the run line. Sooner or later, they're going to bounce back, come through, whatever you want to call it in a big way. And I'd be leery of the Mets tomorrow. Only minus 135 at home against the Rockies. Why is that? Marquez... Terrific going up against Marcus Stroman. And the Mets struggle with Marquez when they saw him at Coors Field. That's your card. We got you covered every which way on New York, New York. Before we say goodbye, money is in the house. The great Jeff Money. What's happening, bro? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper pick. This is going to be for Wednesday the 26th and Thursday the 27th. One play for each in the NBA. So for Wednesday the 26th tomorrow, I like the New York Knicks minus the two over the Hawks. They're revenging that home loss. They're 11-7 against the spread. I think they're going to take that one, JJ. For Thursday the 27th, I'm going to go with the Miami Heat plus the one over the Milwaukee Bucks. I think if they're going to grab one of the games, I think this is the one they're going to grab. So again, two plays for you. On Wednesday the 26th, I'm going to go with the Knicks minus the two. And on Thursday the 27th, I'm going to take the Heat plus the one. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Money, we're riding together with the Knicks. And I know a lot of folks after seeing Miami after the first two games of the series, they're like, JJ, you didn't want to play that team? They've looked awful. Be careful in comparing Atlanta the Knicks, and Milwaukee. 
Milwaukee looks completely dialed in. Not only Giannis, but the guys they've brought to that team have provided a whole lot of toughness. Miami's a team with a lot of pride, though. I think Miami can absolutely win one game at home. I would not be shocked if this series is 2-2. I have not seen enough from Miami now to believe that they are going to win the series. I think they could have a little fun in the series. So, Jeff Money, I hate to be a yes man, but we're a united front, my friend. Knicks on Wednesday night, Heat on Thursday night. Before we say goodbye, locker room after game two. Download the app. We're live. Call. Get rowdy. Get nuts. Hopefully, we're all in a good mood. But we will have a live show Wednesday night right after game two. We're doing it again after game three. But remember, voicemails. If you don't have a chance to chime into our locker room show and you're wondering, JJ, how do I get in touch with New York, New York? Great question to have. It's an important question. 917-382-1151. Great work by Saruti. We're back in less than 24 hours, baby. Live show, locker room. Got to be there. JJ out. Be good, everybody. Be good, everybody.